This is episode 269 for January 2014. Okay, tackling reviews for this show. Let's uh, start. We've got uh, four issues we're tackling in this episode. Uh, Superior 21, 22, 23, and the annual number one. Superior 21 goes to Don. Super Spider-Man number 21. Like super, <laughs> super Spider-Man, I like This continues where the last uh, issue left off in the Stunner uh, story. Uh, we begin in Midtown Manhattan where the Daily Bugle is, where we see uh, Robbie Robinson talking to a mysterious person. That mystery is answered on panel two, where it's revealed to be Betty Brant, Sacre Bleu. And um, Betty's coming back to work at the, at the Daily Bugle, but we, saw, we find immediately that uh, she is welcomed by Stunner, who wants to know where she can find Spider-Man. Because uh, as she believes, Spider-Man killed Dr. Octopus, and she wants to avenge her ex-boyfriend, ex-crush, ex-lover. Let's not think about it too hard. So um, at ESU, we just got off of the scene where Lamaz uh, said that Peter Parker was stealing all of his thesis work from Dr. Octopus, his bestest friend in the world. Uh, Peter's... Uh, Peter Push is openly saying, how can I kill him in the most humiliating way by dropping him in an exploding Kraken or, you know, <laughs> or uh, using an LMD to recant? And then Maria's like, oh, Peter, you're so funny when, you're, when you look like a, a maniac. And then she turns around and he's gone because Peter Push has transformed into the superior Spock. And he's uh, swinging across town thinking of ways to justifiably murder Dr. Lamaze or at least recant his uh, accusations of plagiarism. So uh, his henchmen at Spider Island tell him that um, Stunner is uh, wrecking the place, re- wrecking the place, wrecking the city, and um, uh, the Ock runs into her and, and basically doesn't want to. He's like, "Oh, what are you doing here? I thought you were in a, a coma." And she says, "You murdered my beloved. You killed Otto Gunther Octavius. That's right, Otto Gunther Octavius. I even know his middle name." And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I remember that line. It was it was weird. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So uh, Ock starts to yank his collar and say, Dong. but before we see more of that, we cut to Potter's Fields, where uh, Carly Cooper has just come back from Disney World with a, a balloon. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> and she, <laughs> she's, and like, she, she has like, a bag of groceries and you know some mail and uh, flowers. says, before I, before I tell the world that uh, you're dead and Dr. Octopus is Spider-Man, I just wanted to say, I'm sorry, I didn't believe you when you counted on me, but don't worry, because soon the world will know, and they'll all come here to say, and then she falls into a pit where the grave is empty, but before she can do anything, or not do anything, she's kidnapped by somebody <laughs> with a green arm who laughs. Idiot. Um, back at the Battle <laughs> of Stunner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, idiot. Back at the Battle of Stunner, uh, Superior Spock is uh, trying to explain, you know, you know, this is a precarious situation because he can't actually explain what happened because it kind of blows this whole bit. So he just kind of uh, webs her up and uses his uh, technology to have the spider bots disable her uh, VR system. But uh, unbeknownst to him, she kind of gets out of his webbing, even though it's a superior webbing. So he flies as fast as he can to snap Lamaze's neck and he... Uh, 
what's the word? He uh, spies on Anna Maria trying to vouch for Peter, uh, Peter in quotes, saying that his mind can twist complex thoughts and theories, bend them to his will in the most romantic way possible. And uh, Peter pushes, Anna, you understand me, don't you? Like no one has ever. Spiders are singling! And a, a gigantic bus is hurled um, and, like, in midair on top of a building. Uh, so Sutter's really out for blood. He the the bus heads towards uh, Professor Nose and Anna Maria, and he webs it up, but it's at an angle where he can't exactly it, it, he he has to hold it tight before it just crushes them. And um, she jumps upon his back as he's trying to deflect all the things that she's throwing at him with his uh, superior spider tentacles. And she's like, "Hmm, four mechanical arms. Do you think this is funny?" And just rips him off of his back, and she starts just to beat the hell out of him. Uh, and um, before she uh, inflicts any more damage, the spider bots managed to dis- disassemble her uh, VR technology. Um, so Spock has an idea and uh, is led to the source of where she is, where she's hiding out, which is um, Carolyn Trainer's laboratory. So when uh, Stunner, a.k.a. Angela Brand Kale, wakes up, she sees the Dr. Octopus design from the 1990s, which is awesome. <laughs> and so, she, so she says, Otto, you're alive! Yes, my love. But uh, I'm afraid my life has gone on and I, I no longer need you. I'll always care for you no matter what. But there are things that must be done. So we cut to the department of Dr. Lamaze where he says, Otto, you're alive. Yes, my love. Now let me step aside. <laughs> <laughs> we have to talk. Um, so I'm we cut- hungry. <laughs> what the hell is happening? <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we cut to the next day where um, Lamaze says, I rescind my previous objections. I take it all back. Uh, Peter Parker is, is, is great and awesome. And um, he tells Peter in confidence that uh, Dr. Octopus came to me in a dream last night. <laughs> he told me that you were behind all of his greatest inventions and that you were a child prodigy and uh, you didn't want to take the credit. So all is well that ends well. And um, Anna Maria casts us off by saying, you're a good person, Peter Parker. And in my experience, good things happen to good people. Which is hilarious because it's cut immediately to the Goblin Underground where Menace... Uh, pulls Kari Cooper out of her pocket saying, look what I found, tosses the Green Goblin her uh, journal, and the issue ends with him uh, basically reacting as though he were uh, somebody getting to Spider-Man for the first time, cracking up. Uh, next issue, Venom. Pros and cons and gra- what, What's your grade, Don? Let's go around that. Um, I'll give it an F. No, a D. Uh, C, I'll, I'll give it an A-. minus. Wow, that was <laughs> that escalated. What the hell me. happened there, Don? <laughs> I'm a, an A minus, you said? Yes. He, he was going to give it an F, but then he got visited by Doctor Octopus in the middle of the night, and he rescinds <laughs> oh his goodness. previous grade. <laughs> wow. Okay, uh, an A minus. I'll give it a B. Uh, Jr., what would you give it? Uh, I gave it a B. Okay, Josh. A. Uh, Chris. B plus. And Kev. I give it an A. Wow, good job. This We all like this one, it li- seems Did like. You Let's tell do, us good uh, job for liking it. <laughs> I know. I'm like, this dance show. Uh, They're like, good job, comic. <laughs> good job, comic. I'm going to pat you right on the... I just actually touched Stunner's boobs. Uh, sorry. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, it's, it's a virtual reality boob. It's not cheating uh, if it's, it's virtual reality. Got it, got it, got it. Um, let's do... You want to do cons or pros first? What do you like, gang? Pros. Oh, I like pros a lot better. All right, pros before hoes. All right, hit me with some pros, everybody. Well, 
Um, I thought that like uh, what kind of octave was that, Don? <laughs> I'm in intense pain right now. I'm just kind of like roll with this because my back is killing me. Um, uh, I I thought that the the main the central dilemma of the comic was actually pretty pretty cool. Uh, I remember Chris said in the, in the in the article in the article his review that like it's a comic book plot, but it's a comic plot based on misunderstandings that are more natural than your average Marvel. Oh, you're a bad guy that must beat you up. Oh no, you're not a bad guy. Never mind. We're like, Ock legitimately can't tell her the truth because otherwise it, it kind of blows his whole plan. And he really wasn't expecting Stunner to come back from the 90s. So it kind of, <laughs> it, it kind of works. It, it's kind of an interesting thing to see play out. Um, and I think that, like, Ock, because I, I, I wasn't really interested in um, Ock trying to kill Professor Lamaze because I never really liked it when he just, like, mindlessly tries to go after somebody. So it was an interesting distraction. And because it was a personal connection to him, I thought it made for an interesting uh, comic book, and I really re- my favorite part was when we saw the Eric Larson wh- uh, white suit, Dr. Octopus. I, I like that I liked that version. Mm-hmm. We talk about continuity porn and continuity erotica and continuity references, and it's, it's kind of like, we've gotten to the point now where like references to the past aren't really alien in this comic book, but I really marked out when that happened. I'm, I'm not sure why. I think that Kevin Coley really illustrated him very well. I was just so excited to see him again, and I don't really know why. Just the bowl haircut and the the shades and like the 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 the, the triple chin. I just thought it was awesome. Um, I, that's those are I liked about it the best. Okay, more pros, gang. Open it up. What do you guys I'll like? I'll jump in, Brad. Um, yeah, I thought this fight between Spider-Man and Stunner was just an awesome uh, fight. Like with Stunner looking really imposing and throwing. Like she threw a freaking bus at Spider-Man and like um, that scene with him uh, Spidey trying to hold the bus up with his webs while Stunner is beating him from the back it's just it's just all really cool um, really well drawn um, just uh, one of the first times that I felt like Spock was uh, fighting somebody who outmatched him um, I, I also like how it was sort of explained that the reason that Stunner woke up was because she went into a coma to revive Doc Ock in the first place and because his body died, and I think that's a nice, uh, there's a nice continuity to that. So all in all, a very satisfying issue. Cool. Anybody else? Yeah. Let's hit um, like Don, I really dug business suit Ock. Uh, it's, a, it's a great look. I love it from that era, and it just you know felt awesome to see in the book again. Um, I, I, I enjoy Betty's line, now it feels like the bugle when Stunner comes crashing through the wall. Although that was music. Oh, you enjoyed um, that line. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew Josh wouldn't because so well was Betty. Um, I like Stunner's appearance in general. I, I enjoyed Otto's supervillain rant about Lamaze. That was uh, that was pretty amusing. And I, I like letting the goblin in on Otto's secret, even though we're going to do absolutely nothing with that in the next three issues that came out this month. <laughs> True. Bertoni, you happy to have Betty back? Uh, she was in character, I'll say that. Yeah. Um, honestly, but I, I thought she was annoying as heck in these first few pages because it was just her being, "Hey guys, I'm genre savvy. Oh, this doesn't feel like the bugle. Oh, Robbie, how does this supervillain thing work again? Instead of, oh my gosh, what do we do? Or you know, reacting like a person would. And then when Stunner's like, oh, so I attack one of these. Uh oh, this isn't good for us. It was like Home Alone one-liners. Um. <laughs> Last month on the podcast, I said that I was going to complain about something, and I was going to keep on complaining about it until they finally put it in the book. Does anyone remember what that was? 
everything. Carly Gunther Cooper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Carly Gunther Cooper um, finally realizes Peter's dead and grieves over it. Um, I've been complaining about that for the better part of this year, that, like, she she never reacts to Peter yeah. dying. So I was glad yeah. to finally see her at the grave crying, um, even though she should have been doing some other proactive stuff. But I was glad that they finally addressed that, because I think I even said last month, like, you know, I'm never going to stop complaining about that. And Kevin said, well, you should. And then we had a knife fight. Um, <laughs> the Jets. <laughs> But yeah, it, it yeah. did come off in this issue, sort of like, I'm going to make sure the goblins have every chance to capture me before I go to the Avengers. Let's do uh, this now. Let me anybody, let me linger here, all capturable. Anybody else sad? I, I, I was kind of sad with the opening of the book, how small the Daily Bugle is. It's just like a little building on the ground floor of New York. The Daily Bugle used to be a huge like landmark in, in, in New York City. Now it seems like it's just a little office, a bunch of cubicles. So you care dead. about newspapers, too. Is it, is it just on the ground floor, though? They're not on the top of the... Because they're in frontline offices now, because frontline right. became the Daily Bugle in uh, big time. It did, yeah. Okay. It's just kind of sad about the Bugle, how small it is. I liked um, a point that Chris made in his um, review on the front page where he said that, like, this is how you make C and D list villains, you know, threatening, which was a good point because Stunner's basically, you know, like a C or a D lister, and you felt the threat in this issue, and it was, um, it was entertaining. And I liked how, as Otto is moving on to the next phase of his relationship with Anna Maria, as, like, he's seen her talk to Dr. Lamaze and realizing that she gets him, you know, he's confronted with his this old girlfriend from his past and how he tells her at the end, you know, that he's, like, moving on to someone else. Um, so I like that Stunner's return coincided with uh, the progression of the Anna Maria relationship. And I actually felt bad for Stunner at the end because she, she gave her life for this guy. I mean, yeah. she was in a coma for years. And, and it does bring up the question, she knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man before she went into the coma, so does the psychic mind block, does that affect people in comas? <laughs> Over, you're overthinking it, I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think anyone I, thought that I did through. think it was funny last issue that um, she, the whole reason that she was put in the coma was because she sacrificed her life to resurrect Dr. Octopus. And the first thing that she hears when she wakes up is, oh, he died again. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Is my auto? Is he all right? Yeah. <laughs> Jr. We're back to two pages of goblins uh, just being annoying again. And you, you're the biggest goblin fan. Even you're annoyed at this. Yeah, I'm. I'm very annoyed. Um, over. Uh, were we still doing pros though? Well, not anymore. Oh, I guess. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, I. My big con, you know, I might as well go ahead and say, well, uh, uh, go ahead with the con. But, you know, yeah. Slot apparently is really trying to make you think that this menace is really Lily Holler um, because of the references to Carly Bear and, and everything like that. And I just am really figuring that Slot is setting up some massive misdirection like he did with the whole Daniel Kingsley slash Roderick Kingsley thing at the beginning of Big Time. And I'm just not up for it. So I just I'm just really loathing this goblin subplot because uh, I hate I hate feeling like I'm being set up for something and uh, the only thing that would res- I don't know that, that I, I well maybe the green gun is actually Gabriel you know and maybe and maybe Norman is actually one of the other goblins in the background you know just uh, kind of manipulating things from afar and kind of staying out of the staying out of the bullseye but 
you know, I, I don't know what this is. It, it's like I said, until the Goblin Nation plot gets gets started, I'm just getting sick of this. Um, yeah. But overall, I mean, I actually I like the issue, and I liked uh, I liked uh, a, a, a Clone Saga era character coming back uh, in a you know in in a non continuity porn way. I mean, it made perfect sense to bring bring her back at this particular time, and and it was mm-hmm. actually truly touching for Doc Ock to break her heart. So yeah, it was good. Uh, other cons? Anybody else have any cons? Oh, I, I uh, want to bring up one thing. I don't know if this is a pro or a con. Um, some people list this as a con, but um, I think the pronunciation is Deus Ex Machina, right? Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, some people thought that that's what the auto using the VR machine was. I don't think it is because it's not like the VR machine was something that was, you know, that he made this issue and introduced it for this Lamaze problem. It's something that was legitimately a part of his arsenal in the 90s, and I think that's something that was a part of his arsenal for multiple storylines in the 90s is fair game to use. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm just going to say I've studied actual like old theater where the idea deus ex machina comes from. This is not what that is. This is not deus ex machina at all. I'm supporting your point, is what I'm saying. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, um, I wasn't, well, I was rereading this for the podcast. I wasn't really crazy about how Otto was so. I mean, like you know, his 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 collegiate career is on the line. His his, his you know honor is at stake, and he's clearly upset. And he says, you know, like um, I need to ransack his office or intimidate him, retractable platform over some piranha or a kraken. No, a robot double, decommissioned LMD, and program it to be Lamaze. Yes, and you can see how how crazy he is. And then Maria is just like, you know, ha, you had me going there. You're a good person, Peter. And it's just like. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say that she's written to be as dumb as Carly or other characters, but like, it's, like, I don't know, it's, it's one of those moments where you would have liked an, an arched eyebrow from her. Like, what do you mean? Oh, oh I don't know. Like, she, it doesn't phase her at all, and it's kind of, it's a little annoying, but it's not enough to, to, to take down the A. I don't know. I think if you're, you're in that kind of a relationship, and they've been for a little bit now, if you just randomly all of a sudden hear a supervillain rant come out of your, like a, an honest-to-goodness, psychopathic supervillain rant come out of your lover's mouth, <laughs> you're just going to assume they're joking. Yeah. All right, uh, let's move on to the one you've got, Kevin, Superior Spider-Man Annual Number 1. Indeed, and we what? are only now one solicitation round away from Annual Number 2. You ready? I'm ready, dog. Get it. Um, anyway, so, stop me if you've heard this one. A wise guy walks into a torture dungeon. <laughs> stop. <laughs> Brad, you need to frequent different bars. Uh, he's, he's looking to sell the information that Peter Parker works for Spider-Man since the kingpin is, air quotes, dead. Uh, he makes a comment about it being dark in there, which is funny in hindsight when you realize he's fully aware he's there talking to Blackout. And not surprisingly, the wise guy does not walk back out of the torture dungeon. Those aren't places you want to go. Meanwhile, Ock has a mighty hunger for wheat cakes. And when Aunt May goes to get more wheat cakes, uh, Jay tells not Peter how much better he's been about being around lately and that he's never seen May so happy. And he basically skirts damn close to the line of straight up calling him the superior Peter Parker. Mm. <laughs> uh, but Jay and May don't approve of his association with Spider-Man, though, and Peter swears that he would never let anything happen to May. So uh, he leaves, and then as Ock ponders the stupidity of Peter linking himself to Spider-Man with the lie that he builds his tech, Otto makes a pretty funny and I'm assuming unintentional homage to Mr. T when he thinks how he would pity the fool who'd come after him. Um, enter said fool. 
Did he really just say pity? He, yeah, he said pity and fool. Oh, <laughs> I no. pity any fool to come after me. Yep. <laughs> wow. I'm like, right, wow, then. that's okay. Clever lying. Um, <laughs> so uh, when, yeah, Dr. Spider Puss gets a video from one of his... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's better than Spock, I'll give you that. I told you last night I refused to use that name because it's freaking stupid, so I just got to try to Dr. come up with a different one. Spider Puss, I love it. <laughs> he gets a video from one of his spider bots of Blackout attacking May's house, but by the time he makes it there, May's been taken, and Otto's given a burner phone to talk to Blackout, and he says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do okay. have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my aunt slash ex go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will torture the crap out of you. So coming this summer. <laughs> Your Liam Neeson needs a little work. Uh, yeah. Well, it was Liam Neeson through auto. I apologize. Taken three, blackout. <laughs> So Blackout gives him the standard, hey, I'm a psycho, and if I see a spider bot or Thor or anything, she's dead. He wants Peter to sabotage Spider-Man's equipment for him, but unbeknownst to Blackout, uh, there are so many damn spider bots in the city that they triangulated his position the moment he called, and they can keep an eye on him from a distance where he can't even see them. Then in a move that uh, is actually as much smarter than superheroes as Ock usually thinks he is, uh, Otto calls Dan Ketch, the former Ghost Rider, who was the archenemy of Blackout, to get the skinny on him, since it's not one of his villains and he's never fought him before. Um, the former Ghost Rider advises just kill him to death. Kill him straight up to death. And Ock considers going to Doctor Strange for help, but he's apparently read the comic book message boards and he realizes that Strange might be able to figure out the truth about him, so he stays away. <laughs> That's nice. Um... <laughs> He goes to Blackout's little hideout and then basically waits for Blackout to open the door. And when he does, Otto smashes it in the face and starts to wail on him, including a great panel when he's punching Blackout so fast. The art shows his fists eight times, which can be no coincidence for a guy who's part octopus and part spider. But I thought that was a really, really cool uh, art touch. Um, eventually, Blackout gets the upper hand, but that's a ruse, because when he bites Spider Doc's neck, it's reinforced and electrified, giving him quite a shock. Then uh, Octopus gives May a cane and tells her to go to a diner three blocks away where there are police, because he's not going to leave with her and risk letting Blackout go. <laughs> so Ock hangs Blackout up by the chains in his little torture dungeon, rips out all his teeth, rips out all his fingernails, and exposes him to faux sunlight. Tells Blackout that he's going to let everyone know that no one goes near Parker or anyone he cares about, or this will look merciful. And Aunt May, Aunt May heard some screams and came back, and she sees a bit of the the sunlight portion of it, and she soon goes the other way, straight booking it on that cane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the next day, a guy bumps into Peter Parker and uh, lifts his wallet. But when he opens it, he runs back and begs him not to tell Spider-Man. Like, I didn't. I didn't know, man. I, I, I got kids. So basically, it's working. But word of mouth of that gets to the Green Goblin, and he thinks Spider-Man has shown him his belly. So uh, I, I guess this is the uh, Goblin identity clue of the issue, where the the minion says, "This ain't the same guy you remember." So it's clearly somebody that fought him before, and that's all we really get from this issue in that arena. And that's that's the annual double size four ninety nine. I have a real quick question. 
Yep. What does what does he mean when he says he's show me his belly? Um, it's like a, a dragon or something like that. It's supposed to be all hard scales all over and impossible to hit, except for the soft underbelly. Did he show me his weakness? Exactly. Okay, cool. Kev, uh, grade, what do you think of this one? I give it a B minus. Um, you know, it's 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 got its pros, it's got its cons. It was it was a decent read. Um didn't set my world on fire. The art was all right. Um, it told the story, and I, I have no complaints on that front. It, it didn't jump off the page at me or anything. Um, Chris, what was your um, description of Blackout's look in this issue again? I think it was, uh, I think it was Fabulous Vampire Willie Nelson. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Um, and I don't know why exactly that happened. <laughs> uh, Blackout has looked scary before, and he has done it in a purple coat. I, I, I kid you not. Yeah. Uh, this was not one of those times. I, 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 when I read it, I'm like, you know, Kevin's going to like this one because it's an homage to the 90s Ghost Rider. Well, you know, I thought it was... Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they made a pretty good uh, choice. Because you, you could easily say, why in God's name is a 90s Ghost Rider villain... Um, who Dr. Octopus is facing in his annual here. But I, I think basically what they were looking for is somebody who is enough of a threat that he was somebody's arch-villain who killed a hero's family who has even appeared in a live-action movie. Um, so he's this big, scary threat. And yet, that hero whose arch-villain he was is no longer that hero. The last time he came back was in disgrace. So, you know, he they don't have to keep him nice for anybody, really. They they could take this guy that was a big, scary villain to somebody else and let, you know, Spider-Man just completely torture the crap out of him and embarrass him, and it doesn't take down some of their hero a notch because, you know, this is still their villain. So I think they, they really found the perfect candidate here. Yeah. Has, wh- do we remember the last time we saw Blackout? Um, I know there's ref the uh, the wise guy at the beginning makes reference to Blackout doing some uh, some work for the hood. Um, so he's definitely been around as recently as the, you know, Bendis New Avengers stuff. I think he's one of those guys that kind of pops up in the background of, you know, big villain groups a lot because, you know, he does have a pretty distinctive look. He was big in the 90s, but he's not big anymore, so he's just somebody you throw in a lot. Mm -hmm. And I I believe he also appeared in Jason Aaron's Ghost Rider run, but unfortunately I've not gotten to read most of that yet, but I've seen him on a cover. it's very, very good. The only thing Jason Aaron's written that I don't like is the Hulk. I, everything he writes is pretty damn good, I think. Yeah, he's, you know, everybody's got their uh, their one that's not perfect, but he is overall right. a, quite a good writer. No doubt. Uh, Don, grade. A plus, goddammit. Whoa. All right. Uh, <laughs> JR. C minus. What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you picked the perfect two to go right after each other. I love it, Josh. B minus. Uh, Chris. C plus. B plus out of me. Oh, I like killing me, son. <laughs> I, I, it's all right. You're at the top. Why did you love it, Don? What's your problem? I just thought this was like just such a the best illustration of interest in Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man's body. Because, you know, if I, Chris's review is right. It's not necessarily a, a unique story in terms of what we haven't seen before. But the illustration, both in the writing and artwork, and how they kind of crafted what makes this an interesting concept, I just thought was just so effective. I, I don't know anything about Blackout. I, I, don't, I have no point of reference. Um, my brother probably knows more because he read George Ryder, but um, I didn't care. I just like that second half where 
Spider Push just makes him his prison bitch was the most interesting. Like he just like dismantles him and just. I just found the art really, really intense. The way he like says, uh, you know, I'm half demon, you idiot. You have no idea what you're dealing with. And then like the look on his eye, and then you like see in the background the the boss giving him the pliers. He says, "Nor do you, but you're about to learn." And like the imagery of like uh, him pounding blackout, and he says, "Oh, don't worry, Miss Parker, you're safe now." And you see this shadow of him punching him with the words, "You're safe now," over Aunt May. And then later on, when we see him be fried over the sun, and we see like the silhouette of the shadow of uh, Spider-Man looking so calm, while we see Aunt May seeing that, I just thought this was incredible. <laughs> Again, it's, it's not the it's not the most you know unique story, but the execution was just. It's it's another story of Spider-Man. Well, it's not Spider-Man. It's of him torturing somebody, and, and uh, that <laughs> divides a lot of fans. What do you guys think of that? It's not well, my, my major pro that I wrote down um, is yeah. that this was a really good follow-through on what happens when you target a superhero's loved ones, not knowing he's actually a supervillain. And that was yeah. that was done very effectively. I agree with Don on that. I'll, I'll give you that. But the original Peter Parker tortured uh, was it Sandman or Hydra Man? What was Sandman? Sandman. 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 Well, he allowed yeah. somebody to, to pour ass on them, and he didn't actually do it himself. But you know, that's tomato tomato. It's, it's kind of like he let the burglar close run enough. By. Yeah, all, like, uh, the burglar. The yeah, yeah, Brad. Letting the burglar Sand- run by is just like acid boarding. No, it's letting letting uh, not participating, not not letting consequences happen. Well, well, what, well, what if the, that's, that's the analogy? Well, what if the clerk is really, really mean? <sighs> what if he? What if he didn't let him use that penny for the milk? All right. Uh, <laughs> um, Jr., you gave it the lowest grade. What what uh, what bothered you about the issue? Let's do your cons. <clears throat> well, you know. Um, I'm going to seem remarkably inarticulate, uh, but sometimes there, there's something about a story you just don't like, and, and I just didn't like anything about this. I, I didn't like the art. I didn't like the villain. I thought the villain was just a stupid villain. Um, you know, I don't like the idea. You know, it, it bugs me that, uh, you know, I think they're going to use this. May is going to be... Uh, Scared of Spider-Man now because she did he did this to this really lame stupid villain and you know I keep thinking you know what if I'd saved my wife or my mother or something from a crazed supervillain you know I would hope they wouldn't you know totally wimp out when I when I dismembered him you know <laughs> thoroughly and methodically uh, you know it's nothing sat right with me with this story so I, I gave it a C minus. Okay. Anybody else? Any pro? I'll, I'll jump in. Um, do you yeah. do you want pros or cons? Because I have both. I, I, I'm indifferent. Hit me with both. <laughs> okay, I'll hit you with my pro first. I actually really liked the art. Uh, seems yeah, to be getting a luke, lukewarm response from others, but I think it was the like cartoony, um, and but still not sort of off the wall, strange proportions. It was you know solid enough. But um, I really enjoyed the coloring, especially the effect when Blackout was using his power. Um, and uh, I wouldn't mind seeing this artist on the regular rotation now that uh, Mr. Stegman is leaving to do Wolverine. Um, my con is basically that I thought this kind of story got old uh, months ago, where it's just, you know, the superior Spider-Man is fighting a villain and looks like the villain has the upper hand, but ha! Ah, I had prepared all along. I am the superior Spider-Man. And, like, in this case, you know, superior Spider-Man thought to, like, electrify his neck so that when Blackout bit him, he'd get shocked. (laughs) 
he you know he thought of every contingency like he always does and then like the villain's like ha you're spider-man you're not gonna torture me and then you know he's like ha you don't know who i really am and like tortures him and you know back in you know six months ago or whatever he was beating the crap out of people not torturing him but that's kind of a not much of a distinction this is following the shtick um i hadn't really felt like this concept of the superior Spider-Man hat was uh, running low on mileage until this issue, where it feels like it's repeating some of the same beats we've seen before. Um, so that's basically my take on it. Okay, and, uh, I'll give a con for a round of those. Sure. Um, even though it was done as a threat, he's just spread Peter Parker and Spider-Man's connection even further. Um, you know, by <laughs> now <laughs> he he. He spends the first half of the issue saying how incredibly stupid Peter is for having created this story about him making the tech for Spider-Man. And then, you know, why would you have a secret identity to protect your loved ones if you're going to just tie yourself together with this guy? And now he's telling this villain, go tell the entire world that if you mess with anybody of Peter Parker's, they're going to answer to me. And, of course, we already see that backfiring at the end of the issue with, you know, getting to Green Goblin. Green Goblin saying, well, why does he care so much? But just because the writer acknowledges that something is stupid doesn't actually make it less stupid. True. True. I I asked Christos Gage on CBR message boards because I was confused because in um, the Danger Zone story arc, I thought that there was a headline in the Daily Bugle, like, that outed Peter Parker as Spider-Man's tech guy. Um, but like, I went back and reread the story after Christos Gage mentioned that Peter actually begged Robbie not to publish it, and uh, and we never actually see if Robbie publishes it or not. He just shows Peter the mock-up. Because throughout this issue, they keep on mentioning Peter being the tech guy as if it's a secret thing that only a few people know. And I was like, yeah, wasn't this headline news? That was something that uh, was jarring to me, too, because I thought it was much more widely known. Um, maybe it's just because all the circles of people that we usually see in the comics knew it. Um, but it, it seemed to me to... It, it was weird to me in the first issue to see somebody selling that information. Because I, I just thought it was something that people kind of knew at this point. I actually have one con. Okay, go ahead. Uh, just art-wise, I don't like the... the like like the uh, the douchebag haircut that Peter Parker has, I really don't like that swept back, you know, two thousands Jersey Shore look. I really really don't. Just give it like the Ramita, you know, square head cut with with one or two bangs. Don't don't do that to him. Okay. Well, remember in um the Silver Age and the Bronze Age when Aunt May was afraid of Spider Man and she like she didn't want Peter to have anything to do with Spider Man. She was afraid of him. Well, this issue counts because now. Aunt May is afraid of Spider-Man, and she doesn't want Peter to have anything to do with him. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> don't, 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 don't pull that stunt. Like, it's different from, like, you know... Why not? It's different, like, her, you know, reading uh, the Daily Bugle or watching television, and then her watching Spider-Man uh, pull out somebody's teeth with her own eyes. <laughs> it's not the exact same story. It's the, the, same, it's the same result. The, granted, it's same, the same result, yeah, it's the same result. You know, I think that like the end result might be the same, but like the way it's told is interesting enough where it's, it at least feels different. It gives you a different feeling. Whether it's the same story or not, I think that the feeling matters more personally. Okay. Uh, Bertoni, you've got Superior 22. We're going into the darkest hours now. Yes, let me... Our, our third of uh, four issues that we're tackling on this episode. There's yeah. a lot of Spider comics this month, right? Yeah, and one of them was for I and <sighs> Oh, my money's oh, the, gone. The annual was four ninety nine, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, Bertoni, take me on this one. All right, our story begins with Betty Brandt spying on the Crime Master's men. For those who weren't reading Venom, the previous Crime Master was Betty's thought-to-be-dead brother, Bennett, who is now dead for good anyway, because Betty shot him. If you didn't read any of those Venom issues, have no fear, because the exposition fairy enchants the first few pages of this comic. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I hesitate to call it slot speak, because Christos Gage actually did the dialogue, so whatever name you want to come up with for Gage. Gage does his cover version of slot speak, you know, his tribute band version, when, <laughs> Agent, when Agent Venom drops in on Betty. So Flash and Betty discuss the history of the Crime Master, while constantly reminding each other that they already exchanged the information they're uh, they're expositing to the readers now, it's Once like again, they're same writer. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're in some purgatory where they know they're being ridden with exposition juice, but they can't do anything to stop it. <laughs> Flash asks Betty to take his mom and get out of town. Don't worry, folks, because Betty is in character here. When Flash shows up. She gives him a I-so-don't-want-you-here attitude, even though she's the one who called him. And when Flash um, explains to Betty how he's going to infiltrate the gang, she acts disgusted that he would dare tell her, even though she's the one who asked. As Flash swings away, he ponders how it's all his fault that Betty's mad at him. So from one Looney Tune to another, we cut to Parker Industries, which is apparently open for business. Peter Parker, a.k.a. the Superior Spider-Man, a.k.a. Otto Gunther Octavius, a.k.a. Dr. Octopus, a.k.a. Peter Puss, a.k.a. Spock, a.k.a. Leonard Nimoy, gives his workers a supervillain-esque speech, proclaiming his company open. Here are some highlights. Today you join an organization that will shake the very foundation of human civilization. We shall crush any foolish enough to challenge us. Mark my words and mark them well. Together we will rule the world of science. He also promises cake but warns them that this will not be a regular thing. <laughs> After he rallies his troops and sings Be Prepared from the Lion King, the Johnny... <laughs> <laughs> So Johnny privately chides him for his supervillain-esque speech. Leonard Nimoy's on a roll, though. He continues with, No doubt our former colleagues will realize what, we, what you have, albeit when it's far too late. They'll beat on the door screaming, Save us, and I will whisper. But before he can reveal what he'd whisper, Leonard Nimoy notices Jay Jameson's car. He's enraged that nobody told him that his two biggest investors, who also happen to be his uh, surrogate parents, are visiting. So Johnny calls him a mama's boy. Aunt May and Uncle Jay are talking to Elias Wortham, a.k.a. Cardiac, a.k.a. William Shatner. For a moment, Elias wonders if May has stumbled onto a secret identity for no other reason than she said she knew who he was, and so that the book would have a reason to expose it to us that he was once Cardiac. May takes a break from unmasking <laughs> 90s vigilantes to say that it's really cute that Peter is hiring altitudely challenged people. Jay reminds her that short people can be scientists, too, as the G.I. Joe logo spans across the screen of the comic. Before <laughs> <laughs> you know, huh? Yeah. Leonard Nimoy shows up, telling May that he now has the technology to make her walk again. May thinks that this is cool, but she also wants to have dinner with Peter's new girlfriend, unaware that she just saw her. Meanwhile, Yuri Watanabe, a.k.a. The Wraith, a.k.a. George Takei, enters Carly Cooper's rant... <laughs> Enters Carly Cooper's ransacked apartment while dressed as April O'Neil from the 90s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. She notes that Carly no longer answers her phone, 
sends any texts or posts pictures of her desserts on Instagram. She realizes <laughs> that the spider must have gotten her because he has <laughs> eyes everywhere. In retrospect, same with Car- staying with Carly to see this through might have been a good idea. Leonard Nimoy checks in on his girlfriend, Anna Maria Marconi. Remember when she was a science tutor, you know, who used science to cook? You know, that's all she was. Well, now she can genetically alter fish that she deems non-tasty and non-pretty into serving as a light source. Unbeknownst to her, glow-in-the-dark genetically altered fish are Leonard Nimoy's secret turn-on. He takes Anna Maria (laughs) on the floor, possibly consummating their relationship. Venom and the Crime Master prove to be masters of cock blockage as their situation... As their situation has caught the attention of the spider bots who tell Leonard Nimoy's men over on Hashtag Island, Instead of having carnal delights against the backdrop of glow-in-the-dark fish, Leonard Nimoy heads for Venom, Crime Master's Battle. And turning the page of this recap, back at the mayor's office, Jonah stresses about how he's become blackmailed by Spider-Man. The word robot gives him an epiphany, which we'll touch on next issue. By now, the Crime Master's headquarters are a war zone. Agent Venom is fighting people, Spider-Man and his troops are there, and bullets are flying... Crime Master unmasks himself in fear, reveals that he's a phony who bought the franchise from Kingsley and turns tail. And then Venom turns to the Superior Spider-Man and says, well, everything wrapped up. Huh, much quicker than usual this time. We still have two more pages. Venom goes in to shake Spidey's hand and thanks him for a job well done, only to get fire blasted. He realizes that Spider-Man thinks that he's an enemy because Spider-Man's only met him in Monster Venom for... He hasn't met Agent Venom. Why, if Spider-Man met Agent Venom, there would be carnage all over the USA. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 would, it would be carnage USA if Spider-Man and Agent Venom ever met before this. Put your hands up, <laughs> singing your song, butterflies fly away, yeah, carnage in the USA, carnage in the USA. I'm busting out Miley Cyrus, damn it. <laughs> Can you not? <laughs> As he's getting blasted by Leonard's sonic webs, Venom cries uncle and reveals that he's really Flash Thompson, a.k.a. Patrick Stewart. Spider-Man says... <laughs> <laughs> J.R., you loving this Star Trek recap? I'm loving it. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man says, Flash, it's really you, and they hug and they have an epic bromance moment, and they say, you had me at hello. No, that's, but he actually says, sorry, Flash, you confused me with someone who cares as he prepares to go in for the kill, to be continued. This is awesome, dude. Very good. I love the Star Trek throughout it. <laughs> I, I'm just so uh, tired of the Spock stuff, so I'm like, Leonard Nimoy, and then like throughout the review, I'm like, George Takei, and William Shatner. And <laughs> nice, nice. I feel What's really bad that I didn't get that until you just said the Spock thing. What? <laughs> I was wondering the whole review what the hell was going on, then you said it was like, oh... <laughs> oh man! Now I f- it's it's late. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not that late. I just You're really like sir. Star Trek. Great. Um, C. C. Uh, Don, grade. Uh, C minus. Kevin, I'm gonna be the Don of this issue. I give it an A. <laughs> Whoa! All right then, Jr. C. Uh, Chris. Um, C plus. And I will ditto Chris, C-plus out of me also. Uh, let's do cons around the horn. Wow, what, uh, we have lots of those. 
Let, yeah, let's do cons. What did, uh, what bugged us about this? All right, I feel strongly about this. Hit it. I don't like the artwork of Humberto Ramos. Oh. Um, I know, unpopular opinion. <laughs> um, but, like, look at Spider-Man fighting Venom, and this, like, picture up in the corner in their fight with, like, Spider-Man's, like, neck, like a twig sticking out, and he has this huge freaking, like, back and shoulders, like he has a tumor in his back, and, like... Like, you know, he, he's not, not the one who's supposed to be an alien? Really? Um, uh, who wants Spider-Man to be drawn like that? Don, who wants Spider-Man to be drawn like that? You're asking me directly, dude. Yes. Um, it's, it's a stylish thing. Your miles may vary. Yes. I know there's a difference between, like, you know, anatomically correct and, you know, like, like knowledge of anatomy. Which An exaggeration. Right? Yeah. Your mileage may vary. Sometimes you have to push the car. Um, you know, it, it doesn't always work out well. But... It, yeah. it, it 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 grows on me. I mean, I'm not t- I'm not as turned off by his art well, as some. Spider supposed to look uh, graceful, right? Like he's sleek and he does acrobatics. But this Spider-Man has this like huge hunchback. He looks like a freaking lumberjack, like who had like never used his legs before. And it's just I, I don't know. There are worse artists who have drawn Spider-Man. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll be um, more diplomatic and say artists that I like less, but none of them have drawn a significant amount of issues. Ramos is the my least favorite Spider-Man artist who has drawn more than 12 issues. Um, Fair? You know, the funny thing is I wrote down, uh, <laughs> after just you know reading the issue once, that this was kind of a high point for Ramos' art for me, but then Chris in his review posted a few panels, and I was looking at him like, okay, Okay, what the hell is that? <laughs> so I guess he does have a he does have a bigger thing on his back which contracts the legs. Yeah, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's obviously like a solid <laughs> chunk of metal or something. I'm talking right. about the actual muscles that you can see under him. Yeah. Yeah, this might be a high point for Ramos, but comparison, not a compliment. Yeah, I think I've 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 tried to get more diplomatic with Ramos as he's stuck around for longer and longer. <laughs> I'm gonna get back to this later on. Ooh, the Jets, the Sharps, the Jets. Any other, any other cons besides Mr. Ramos's art? Oh, yeah, how is it that everyone that can do science in the Marvel Universe, like, has to be so good at it, like, that all of a sudden, this person who was a science tutor at a university is now <laughs> able to genetically engineer fish and play God? Well, like, to be fair, she was tutoring the guy in the same class that in two issues got a loan and then now has a fully functioning science company of his own. That's true. Well, she should be running it. Marvel Universe time works with what the writer wants, it, I guess. I mean, it's the Marvel Universe where, like, to be in science, you have to compete with the likes of Reed Richards and uh, Hank Pym. So, I mean, I can kind of accept that argument, but it's like... You can really do these amazing things, like with like with no preparation at all. Like, wouldn't genetically engineering fish take a long time? But then again, so would oh. Yeah, you know, what? I was I was gonna I was gonna bring this up in the next issue, but I might as well bring it up now so we won't waste time. Like when when Aunt May like you know like basically gets a tap on the shoulder, she can magically walk again. It's this magic science that Dan Slott employs a lot. That like it's one thing for having these people be super smart, but like they do this this science crap like instantly. Like they can just like, you know, just ping and things exist now. And that does really take me out of the book because it's not like they're actually doing science. They're just having plot devices, you know, pop out their ass and have a story progress. Yeah. And and is it ethical for Anna Maria to be doing this? No. 
Which, which, which is these, funny because people have been talking about the ethics of like another part of the scene, but I'm more worried about these, the fish. These the fish that, that can <laughs> produce lights, you know, naturally. I've made it so that they can, so that we can eat them and, and enjoy their lights. That's like sadistic shit going on. <laughs> Wait, we're enjoying their light when we're eating them? How does that work? She's like, you know, oh, this, these, what she says, most fish that make their own light live in low depths. They're not pretty or tasty, but now I've made them pretty and tasty. Isn't that great for us and not the fish? <laughs> I've never been more attracted to you than I am right now. <laughs> you know, science makes them horny. Yeah. Any other con- cons before we hit the pros? Oh. Con! <laughs> now, oh, now, the whole, now, now the whole Star Trek gang is there. Um, Carnage USA, as I alluded to in my review, in all the promotion for this book, they keep on saying, Spider-Man and Agent Venom haven't met. Spider-Man and Agent Venom haven't met. Seriously, that's all I've been hearing since before San Diego. They met in Carnage USA. It happened. They, that, why do they care? Why are they shoving oh, it under the rug? Why? To make it sound more, to make it sound more important than probably. They is. probably forgot, because Carnage USA frankly wasn't that good. JR, what's some cons out of you? I just gave you one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Don't <Don't> uh, <laughs> Yeah, but you know, um, I uh, I really didn't like this issue very much at all. I um, my favorite part was uh, the uh, overwritten uh, uh, speech by Peter Puss Doc Ock. I just nobody talks like that, but it is pure Doc Ock and pure supervillain. Uh, I I you know, in a strange way, I'm not really comfortable with Aunt May's pointing out uh, Anna Maria's uh, diminutive status. Then what will you like next issue? Yeah, I know, (laughs) I know. And I just, uh, you know... Was it it this issue or the next one where they're at dinner? Well, it's the next next one. one, We just did the recap, Brad. (laughs) Sorry. But in in this issue, you know, she's looking at her and basically going, oh, isn't that nice? Peter hires little people. No, that's what she said. (laughs) You should have heard what she said about about cardiac before the scene started. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Oh. It, 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 well, is it Doc in here or is it just Doctor Wortham? Uh, <laughs> oh my God! Oh, and um, there's our negative review for the month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's the thing: is is Aunt May uh, generally generally older people are less tolerant or or a little awkward when it comes to politically correctness? Is this is this out of the league or out of character for Aunt May to do no, this? No, my next issue was a lot more highlighted. Honestly, I, I read this and it sounded like my grandma. <laughs> my, yeah. my grandma is a good lady. You know, she's she's a great person, but she comes from a different time. She's not PC yes. at all, and this is the, exactly the kind of thing that would probably come out of her mouth. So it rang perfectly true to me. Yeah. Wait, before you move on. Uh, oh, I just, go ahead, Jerry. You know, I was about to say it. Just, uh, I mean, you know, I, I do agree with that because, I mean, theoretically, if May is in her seventies, that means she was born in the forties, and uh, you know, was coming of age. You know, it's not. I, I mean, I would, I would have thoroughly expected something like this out of the May of the nineteen sixties. You know, who would have been born in the nineteenth century? I, I just don't recall. I, I mean, May has always been a little goofy and and sometimes says the wrong thing, but. I just don't remember her being almost this flat-out condescending, but yeah. uh, you know that that that's kind that's kind of it. That's just it just it read wrong. Yeah. 
Uh, pros. Wait, stop, we got? I want to. I want to get mine in. Stop the bus. Don needs to get something off his chest. Explain <laughs> none of the apes. I want to get off. <laughs> um, my, my my main con in this issue is the exposition. It's it's unacceptable. Like Betty Brant and Flash Thompson are are repeating to each other stuff that they admit that they know. And like Kevin says, <laughs> when you when you when the comic book itself admits that it sucks, that isn't that isn't being clever and pointing out its faults. That makes it suck more. It's like they both say, "Oh, I know this. Yes, I know this. Once again, this is not news." And how how do, how do how does the writer tell the person who didn't read Venom what happened? Recap page. page. Recap page. Yeah, remember <laughs> the nineties? Okay. Recap page. Okay. Or, or instead or of Betty and Flash, was this comic. Or instead of Betty and Flash discussing this to each other, you know, off-panel before the story begins, he'd be like, all right, Betty, I'm here. Why'd you call me? And then she tells him what's going on. Question, does the trade have the recap pages in it? Uh, no. Sometimes they do. Okay, because I, I don't buy the trade. Seen, when, like, a different comic book uh, has an impact on what happens during a series, I've literally seen a recap page in the middle of a trade before, if it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um but I yeah I was and I apologize Josh for kind of <laughs> interrupting the beginning of your uh, recap like that I, I realized halfway through and shut up um, but yeah what oh I was no no was, I, I didn't notice <laughs> <laughs> but like just what Don said uh, it, it's the same thing I said with just because the writer calls it out as stupid doesn't make it not stupid and so what I was saying is it's the same writer too <laughs> it's Christos Gage in both the annual and this calling out okay. something as stupid, but still going ahead and writing the stupid thing. Okay. It's just sad. I like Gage. Yeah, I like Gage, too. Uh, pros? All right, I'll pro it up. Pro it. So, like, how long does it take to start a company, um, <laughs> you know, hi- get a building, right, and uh, hire an entire staff and have a growing fish experiment well underway? <laughs> Right? How long does that take? Because that's how, that's, that's how long Carly Cooper has been missing before anyone has noticed. And that's a pro because people care about her as little as I do. <laughs> wow. Damning with faint praise done by Chris Lynn. Backhand of pros prefer, I've ever heard. Would you prefer if at the end of 700 uh, he said to Mary Jane, uh, it's really me and Doc's body. And Mary Jane was the protagonist trying to find the solution to his problem. Yeah. It would not matter. No, <laughs> it would not matter to me because my, my yeah. problem isn't that it's Carly uncovering this mystery and Mary Jane deserves that more. That was never my problem. My problem is okay. that Carly is like, oh, I have proof that you know Otto is um, – Spider-Man, and I'm going to go to the Avengers. Oh, wait, first I have to stop by the graveyard. Oh, wait, first I have to stop by the flower shop. Oh, now I'm captured, because nothing can happen in this book that would lead it to its conclusion. You're upset that she's a dumb character. <laughs> yeah. Written, yeah, written. So. It's really it's really not, not the character's fault. It's, it's the writer making the character so procrastinating. And yeah, it's the so fact stupid. that he seeded this thing with, uh, you know, uh, Peter coming to her before Amazing Spider-Man ended, and now we're 23 issues into Superior Spider-Man, and she's done basically nothing with it. But, yeah, as, as Chris said, if she, if she did, the book is over. So he's painted himself into a complete corner where he can't really do anything. She's got to take the babiest of baby steps. You notice that, like, in, her, in the, the apartment of Carly Cooper, like, her underwear is all across the place. It's like they were at the panty rape when they kidnapped her, apparently. Like, I'm serious. Like, clothes and bras and panties are everywhere. <laughs> Don is the only one that knows that. <laughs> uh, 
Are we good? We want to move on to the next Wait, one. I, I, I like nobody the, gave the, a real pro. Yeah, I pros. All right. Huh. Go ahead. Um, Shotgun them. Go around. Quick. I like Bam. the art. <laughs> Here's the thing. Okay. Uh, I get it. I, I understand uh, Ramos has his wacky uh, anatomy in fight scenes. I really don't understand it. I genuinely like how he draws the people. I like how I like, even though I don't really like the opening scene, I think Betty Brant and Flash often look really good, especially how Betty's so like not meeting Flash's gaze. I almost said gauge gaze uh, in that opening shot. I think that um, all, all the figures like uh, Wortham and Peter and May and uh, Jameson Senior look really good. Um, I'll elaborate more on the next issue. I do think that uh, Ramos has been very inconsistent, but when he's good, he's good. And I think the first half was actually very good artwork, personally. Okay. Uh, I like wait, um, I... the the super villain speech that Peter gave at Parker Industries. That was fun. Um, that's one thing about Superior Spider-Man that has not gotten old for me. I think allowing for the fact that, uh, you know, the whole thing is wrong about uh, Spider-Man and Agent Venom not having met, um, allowing for that, it was in general a good handling of the Flash and Spider-Man relationship, which was at a rather difficult point with all that's happened since they last met. Um, and I thought it was good supporting cast building, bringing back Cardiac, uh, working for Par- Parker Industries. I think he's he's doing a good job with that. Uh, Superior 23, the last book we're reviewing for this sh- episode. And who's got this one? That would be Chris. 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 Hey, Chris reviews. We all love these. Oh, <laughs> I know. No pressure. Hold on. I need to find my notes. Oh, crap. Ah, crap. <laughs> crap. I, I literally can't find them. And now I'm screwed. Um, hold on. It's all right. That's all right. Yeah. We'll, we'll, Ad-libbing um, Chris is better than notes for Tony. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. We'll, we'll just do this, all right? Um, so we start with uh, Spider-Man Puss looming over defeated Venom, and uh, he, t- he tells Flash to do something he can... Uh, to, to do something to control the symbiote to prove that he is in control, um, but Otto is secretly thinking that he'll interpret whatever Flash does as a hostile move and kill him on the spot. But actually, Flash just grabs some gas grenades with the symbiote and turns the tables and manages to escape after a fight. Uh, Otto gets a call from Anna Maria, who is angry at him for leaving uh, you know, her, her business unfinished next to that glowing fish tank. And, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, if you catch my drift, um, and so, so Otto, Otto's like, Otto's like, I'll make it up to you by taking you out to dinner. And Anna Marina basically says, Oh no, you're not getting off that easily. The cook you dinner, you and your family, kissy kissy. And uh, Otto's so enamored by uh, kissy kissy that like hearts actually start to float around his head. We we cut nice. we cut to the goblins. Um, they have Carly Cooper captive now, and they've read her journal, which tells them that Otto's mind is now in Spider-Man's body. But they, they can't get Carly to spill whose face is under Spider-Man's mask. Uh, and the, the Green Goblin states that he feels like he should know Spider-Man's identity, and it's it's like an itch he can't scratch. So so now we know that it's, you know, we've narrowed it down to anyone who's um, heard Peter's identity revealed after Civil War. Uh, because obviously we know it's somebody whose knowledge was mistake uh, erased by the psychic mind block. 
Um, so, you know, Menace is, says, like, you know, should she basically, like, torture Spider-Man's identity out of Carly? And the Green Goblin's like, yes, but, you know, make sure you do it after the scene cuts to something else, because otherwise something would happen in our subplot in this comic. And, um... <laughs> he uh, says that? No, he doesn't. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. I, if I if I if I'm uh, making up fake dialogue, I try to make it obvious. <laughs> um, now the fourth wall know. just got broke down in this issue. Yeah. The so okay so there's a few pages that don't matter and uh, then we're at the <laughs> nightclub. Um, so Mary Jane is uh, wearing a green dress to match her phone and <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh, but it's no, oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Mary Jane's looking good, by the way. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> Cap- really? No? Captain Watanabe uh, tells Mary Jane that, you know, the la- like Carly went missing and the last phone call Carly sent was went to Mary Jane. And Mary Jane's like, oh man, I must have overlooked her voicemail. I've gotten so many messages from contractors, painters, and staff. Like, I must have mistaken Carly Cooper telling me to stay away from Peter for like a construction worker or something. And, um, <laughs> Watanabe says, uh, you know, Carly is involved in some bad stuff, and Peter is a person of interest now, and Mary Jane should also uh, should stay away from So uh, Flash comes to Peter's house, and Otto doesn't recognize him at first because he's drawn by Humberto Ramos, but uh, he quickly <laughs> figured out that um, Flash and Peter are supposed to be friends. And... Um, <laughs> so um, Aunt May gets cybernetic leg implants... Oh, and uh, then we cut to Jonah hiring Alchemax to make spider slayers. So here's the next big Chris theory, okay? Um, so oh, everybody ready? Uh, no, on, everybody who reads the the written review I, I posted already knows this, but but uh, Liz, so Liz Allen's cohort, Mister Banks, who's singled out by name in every issue he's in, but he never really does anything. I'm gonna say he is Norman Osborn wearing a fake mustache and glasses. And, and there's reasons why I think this. If you go back to issue number 15, where is the only time we see the Green Goblin not wearing his costume, he's wearing a suit and his face is hidden, and he is obviously wearing the same suit that Banks is wearing in this issue, and we know it's not just a coincidental similar suit, because in issue someone who works for Alan, Alan Chemical is wearing matching brown suits. So it's some kind of uniform, and not just a random brown suit. Um, and if you go back to, if we look at that scene I'm talking about, which is in number 15, the goblin is talking to some other guy who also has his face hidden, and he's conspicuously wearing like this weird purple bandana or something. So that means that other guy in number 15 is someone that the artist didn't want us to see, and his hair would give away who he is. So I'm thinking that the goblin is Norman, and the random guy he was talking to in that scene was Harry, because that person would have distinctive hair. And also in number 17, when the Allen Chemical Entourage arrived at Horizon Labs, Otto thought that his spider sense was buzzing like it had never buzzed before, and he commented about his spider sense again later in the issue. So it could have been Tiberius Stone setting off his spider sense, because that was basically the villain of that story. But the way it was presented made it seem like it was a big clue to something that he was singling out that his spider sense was buzzing like never before. And so I think it was Mason Banks who was setting it off, and it's the Green Goblin because Mason, Green Goblin, and Norman are all the same person because Banks and the Goblin were wearing the same suit. That that's the that's the solution. And so um, at this point, 
you know, you should all know by now that expressing any disagreement with anything I say will only lead to embarrassment later for you. So <laughs> just, just move on and, uh, you know, you could, Kevin, you could write an amazing Spider-Man point issue. It sounds like with that ego. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, I'll finish my summary and then you can all tell me how wrong that theory is. That uh, was we my can, idea, yeah. Yeah. We can, <laughs> so we, so we go to the brunch table scene with Aunt May, Jay, Otto, Peter, Anna Maria, and Flash. And Anna Maria made wheat cakes, and Aunt May glow in the dark wheat cakes. And uh, and then Anna invites the parents uh, to ask her any questions about her being a little person. And and Aunt May just straight up asks Anna Maria if she's gonna like pass that on to her to her children with Peter, uh, because, like, as Brad alluded to in a more nice way, just old people lose their sense of social boundaries with time. It's just a fact of life. Like, <laughs> that, that's it, very true. Like, my, my, my grandfather has said worse things in front of, like, my girlfriend. Uh, it's, it's just the way old people are. So I, I can't totally um, say this is wrong, although Aunt May I don't think has ever acted that way. I, I don't know. I keep flip-flopping. Um, but anyway, we kick. Yeah. Uh, Flash is, <laughs> Flash is getting uncomfortable, so he wants to leave. But uh, Peter says, you know, I, I want to test my new robot legs on you. So they go to Parker Industry where um, Dr. Wortham helps uh, Otto Peter put some mechanical legs on Flash. Then Otto Peter says, hold on. I need to go get someone. Jeez. So. <laughs> so Peter walks out the door and Spider-Man walks in and, uh, Dr. Wortham is like, Spider-Man, you're Peter's specialist? And like, From you know, Peter's like direction. thinking like, or Otto's thinking, ha what a dumbass. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so Spider-Man uses uh, like his, uh, so- like some uh, ultrasound device on Flash to use Sonics to take the symbiote <laughs> out of containment. And, um, I, I, I don't like the art of Humberto Ramos, and one of my criticisms of him is that he's uh, storytelling and the progression from one scene to the next isn't very clear. And so I can't really, f- looking at this page, follow what the symbiote is doing, but the end result is that evidently the symbiote has merged with Otto because we see Venom with an octopus tentacles, and he calls himself the superior Venom. The yeah. end. Or to be continued. So, uh, what's your grade, sir? Um, I'll move it up to a C plus from where it was before. Okay, uh, Kev, um, my grade is a B. Don, <laughs> in alphabetical order, C. Okay, Jr. C minus. Ooh, Josh, C. Uh, B out of me. I liked it. Um, I was say, I'm actually liking this whole arc better than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, you are, I know. Kev, Kev, do a little rebuttal to Chris about how you don't think his theory is correct about Norman Osborn. I, I think that there's every chance that the part of the theory that Mason Banks is the Green Goblin is correct, but I, I think there's no way in the flippity hell that Liz Allen is standing right beside her father-in-law, who's just wearing a fake mustache and glasses and doesn't know <laughs> it. <laughs> Yeah, that's like Clark Kent's glasses. I thought he was wearing a mask. Was the was the theory? Oh uh, no, I think, he oh, said I think he's wearing a wig. And glasses. No, I think Liz. I think Liz is in on it. Liz is being written what? like a villain. Like she's okay. in on it somehow. Harry and Liz—they're all together. Like you know, the Goblin's talking about how he's going to go get the black sheep of the Goblin family. Well, like if he's assembling the Goblin family, how is Norman and Harry not there already? Hmm. He, it's it. 
this is clearly to me a story about all of the existing goblins coming together. And I think, you know, they've set up that Norman is, uh, you know, he escaped from his hospital. He's been set up, but we don't know where he is exactly. Really everything we know about this goblin from the fact that he's smart enough to hack the spider bots to the fact that he's interested in like the goblin family and that he, uh, I'm with you until the list. Norman is the only character that makes sense. I think that Norman is the most sense-making character for Green Goblin, but to me that would just discount Mason Banks because I just I think the part of your theory that doesn't work is that there's no way that Mason Banks is Norman Osborn. I don't think that works at all. But also with this whole Goblin family thing, I agree with you, except I'm looking at it, and we've got basically three Goblin characters. We've got Goblin King, Goblin Knight, and Menace. So that's, let's say, Norman, Phil, and uh, what's her Lily. name? Lily, <laughs> thank you. So where's Harry? Where is? Uh, uh, oh my God! All my names are going away. Uh, since I think past. there aren't Somebody? that many. There's like Gabe. Harry, Gabe. Gabriel, Gabriel. That's it. Like Sarah's Sarah still alive. And we know like the Goblin's going to try and collect Kingsley because they're uh, they're fighting in a future issue and uh, on the cover. So like. I'm, I'm- I mean, yeah, but if he's think, like, I'm going to go collect the black sheep of the Goblin family, why why hasn't he already gathered Harry and, and, and Gabe and everybody else? I think he has at least Harry, because I think Harry's the guy he's talking to in number 15. I'm just not sure why spider, the hell he's wearing a purple Spider historians, help, help me out a little bit. Uh, what is uh, Liz's opinion of Norman Osborn? She really doesn't she like hates, him. Yeah, she hates him. She, he, he came, when he came back in the 90s... Uh, yeah. He took the company from her, and he, he bullied her and belittled her. In Revelation, she, like, slaps her in the face, and I think he calls her a cow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, guys, yeah. you guys are thinking in terms of how you would write a story and not how Dan Slott would write a story. And that's why I'm always a step ahead. <laughs> that's very true. Oh, I'm, I'm agreeing true. with Chris, because, like, when Chris said this to me, everything yeah. in my head clicked. Because if you listen to our 2099 podcast, right from the get-go, I was like, why? what's up with Banks? Because in every scene that he's in, he they name-call him, but he's superfluous to every that scene. That is true. That's, that's, like, that's always happened. Yeah, he's superfluous to every scene that he's in, because all you need in those scenes is Liz and Tiberius Stone. This is just an extra guy who's like, and I am also in this scene, and I don't, yeah. I give Slot more credit than that, that he would want to, that he would not just have this extra person there for no reason, especially a new character, because he's not an Easter egg, and it's a twist on the Goblin mystery instead of who is it. You either make it Norman or you make it someone who isn't Norman, and you do the guessing game. This is Slot's way to do a new thing with the guessing game, which my prediction is he'll be unmasked as Mason Banks, the fans will go crazy and say on Twitter, oh, Slot, why'd you make the Goblin someone that we just met? And then he'll say, you must have hated it when Steve Dicko, I mean, when Stan Lee and John Romita did that in issue 39, he, but then you find out an issue or two later that Mason Banks was Norman Osborn. And if you look at the way he's drawn by this and compare it, um, compare it to how Ramos drew Norman Osborn in Death in the Family, they have the same frame. So that was interesting, too. Another interesting Osborn thing, if you look at that scene, Liz finally got a nanny. No little Norman yeah. had seen. <laughs> JR, your your thoughts on all the goblin talk? My head hurts. 
<laughs> I think Chris is on to something. I really do. Yeah, you yeah. know, I'm thinking people were giving Sylvia Brown money all those years, and and <laughs> and, and and I think she, I think Chris has been right more than she has. So, uh, you know, I I ain't betting against him. Uh, I mean, Chris has got a mutant power. It's yeah. called psychic ability. I mean, I, I ain't. Be- I mean, <laughs> I, you know, whether or not Banks is Norman Osborn, you know, we'll, but he's got to be somebody or something because it, you know it's it's like the significant guest star thing on a on a TV show or a movie or whatever, you know, when you see a, a well-known actor just suddenly show up, it's like, okay, he's the bad guy or something, yeah. you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I argued I, against Bertone when he first said uh, something about Banks being name-checked like that first arc, and I was like, oh, hush you, but now it's been enough issues that I, I got to agree. <laughs> it's it's, it's yeah. pretty obvious. All right, any other thoughts before we wrap it up? Can we do well, I, cons? Pros and cons. Ahead, no, I, I was going to say I, you know, I didn't really care much for the story, uh, um, but uh, I honestly, the the like Chris mentioned, Peter Parker walking out of the room, and then I'm going to call my special expert in, and then Spider Man walks in without Parker. It's like, oh, this is, I mean, this is worse than this is almost as bad as Clark Kent in the glasses. I mean, it's just really <laughs> who can who can yeah. be that. Stupid. <laughs> you know, I mean, and Doc Ock is always talking about how yeah. stupid Peter Parker was and how stupid Parker was to do this or to, you know, do that or let himself be, you know, attached to Spider-Man. And then he pulls the most obvious blunder, you know, yeah. you know, when you've got a secret identity. It's it's stuff like that that just kind of makes you even in comic book logic, you know, and we all we all put up with a lot of strange comic book logic but you know this but is just too like, much this is just like really slapping in the face with a dead fish or something i don't know <laughs> i'd like uh, real quick uh cons or pros i'm i'm indifferent to whoever wants to throw them out uh, i want to talk about mary jane um, all right okay who was looking good by the way yeah yeah she, she, she's looking good you know because remember yeah. earlier in this um series she called Peter, and she called Peter, and she called him, and she called him, and then he finally called her to say, stop calling, and she said, I'm never calling you again. So when confronted with a phone message about how dangerous Peter is, after vowing to never call him again, her first instinct is, gee, I'd better call Peter, and I'm so glad that... <laughs> I am so glad that Yuri Watanabe slapped her hand because otherwise I would have. Like, no, no, stop calling Peter, especially after vowing that you would never call him again. Like, just, just stop. And by the way, I have defended Mary Jane earlier in this arc for not catching on that Peter is actually Leonard Nimoy. I have defended that. But at this point, when, you're, when you hear that message from Carly, your thought process should be, well, gee, this must be about something Spider-Man related. But Carly knows that Peter's Spider-Man. Therefore, if Carly's saying stay away from Peter, that must mean that something's happened to make Peter dangerous. Say, he has been shooting people in the face and fighting the Kingpin (laughs) and a giant Megazord robot. Maybe there's something going on. This is when Mary Jane gets clued in. She doesn't, you know, think about it when they're on their date in issue two or something. This is when Mary Jane realizes that there might be something wrong with Peter, but she doesn't. I want to talk about uh, the uh, Aunt, Aunt May scene. Uh, <laughs> we should. Um, we can do ca- point counterpoint uh, if if it might feel strongly against it. I mean, I I <laughs> I live in the south, so I get a lot of this, especially at work, where like old people just don't know when to shut up. And I think that like I I I understand how Jr. and Chris kind of feel because we've not seen Aunt May written this negatively before. 
but I think that like it's one of those things where it's like it's coming from an honest place of somebody who's just unfamiliar with somebody else from a different lifestyle, and, or, yeah. and like I. I I don't. I mean, I saw, I saw like a gag comic online where someone like berated Slot for not pointing out the fact that uh, Anna Maria was a little person. I thought that was like, well, you know, I don't know how many people, little people you've met or deal with in your own real life, but like there are certain ways you kind of deal with this thing. When it kind of comes into your own home, it kind of puts things into perspective that you don't think about. And honestly, I mean, like, what, she can look as bad as she wants to, essentially, but I still think it was a good scene because it felt believable to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a major problem with that scene, but her her uh, being the way she is is not my problem. <laughs> um, what was, if I may say, with the scene? Quick. Yeah, uh, go ahead. My problem was that we went very, very quickly in in a in a head snapping sort of way from Peter yelling and screaming at Aunt May over this to all of a sudden Flash is about to leave, so he's offering Flash medical procedures and Flash, old buddy, old pal, and never gets back to Aunt May. Like that mm. that whole screaming match between Peter and Aunt May, basically father and son, you know, like we don't usually see, just gets cut off really quick and oh, it's done. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, 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 we, and we don't know. Are they, are they waiting there at the apartment, or did like May and Jay leave awkwardly and say, um, it, "It was nice meeting you, Miss Marconi." Like we don't see how that ends, and that's one yeah, thing I that turn bothers the page me. And he's having a medical procedure. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa what? <laughs> what just yeah. happened? Another comment is the fact that like he ripped off the Dreamcast PlayStation One Spider-Man game ending with the superior like ox uh, fusing with the symbiote. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Well, yeah. you know, one of my biggest cons in this thing was I, I suffered through the whole Venom series for you people. I, I read that whole thing. <laughs> 42 plus point whatever's issues. And since when does Flash call his symbiote buddy and talk to it like it's his loyal dog? Where did that come from? Is there any by Daniel Gunther Slot? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you, you got to blame Gage for that. Cause yeah, Gage, it's by Christos it's Gage. Christos <laughs> Gunther Gage. <laughs> yeah, because the last time we What's left Flash in the uh, in the Cullen Bunn book, uh, the the symbiote was taking Flash to task for basically mistreating it uh, after it had just tried to help him, and now it's like you know, hey, uh, don't worry, buddy, we're getting you some medicine now. Like it's like. He's about to call him uh, Rex or something, and has a leash for him. <laughs> Good dog. It's, it's very weird. Yeah. Does Venom still have a demon in him? No, that's uh, it got switched in, to Mania. Uh, Mania. That's on Mania. Oh, okay. Thankfully, because nobody wants to see that ever again. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Um, I do. Ha- we've only done cons. Uh, <laughs> I, I do have a pro. And that's I think Slot's actually doing a, a good job of giving us a lot of interesting subplots in this run, and this issue kind of has a lot of that. And yeah, some of it is annoying, slowly moving Mary Jane and stuff. But you know, you've got stuff with uh, uh, his uh, girlfriend here, and uh, Aunt May and Jay, uh, his business, and just all kinds of stuff coming together. I think Slot's done a pretty good job of building all that together. Anybody else? What do you think, Brad? Um, I, I I don't have really anything else to add. I think you guys wrapped it up perfectly. I I I Aunt May. It, it the the thing that I don't think has been mentioned is uh, Aunt May. Does she when he was dating Mary Jane? Did they talk about kids? Probably. Probably. She was trying to force Mary Jane on him forever. 
I know, but I don't think the kid conversation ever came up. Well, I mean, not 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 like in the first meeting. Well, well in fairness, Mary Jane doesn't suffer from dwarfism. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a different context. I mean, she. she I mean, what was Aunt May going to say? Is now are your kids going to be stunningly gorgeous models with Peter? Is is, is that what's going to happen? <laughs> I'm concerned. Mary Jane, Mary Jane suffers from doesn't put down the phone ism. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I just thought the kid conversation was odd on a first meet of a girl. I mean, I don't know. Mary Jane's or not Mary Jane. Aunt May's always been seen as somebody who's like whenever Peter's with somebody and she's aware of it she's, that's like her main concern it was with Gwen yeah. it was definitely with Mary Jane when she was shipping the two of them together so like I mean even when she's meeting this girl that he's just got together with I, that, that, like, what, it doesn't matter whether it's a good character beat or not that doesn't seem like it's a not May's character okay. I've actually been very mixed on this like I wasn't sure if I liked or hated this scene which maybe that's the idea you know um, I, I've been back and forth on it and Aunt May we have not had a relationship with Aunt May and a girlfriend of Peter's that's antagonistic. The whole evil, not evil mother-in-law, but um, comfortable mother-in-law thing. Like, yes, there's a scene in the Spider Slayer story from the 90s where she's not happy to see Felicia, but that's Peter and Felicia weren't dating at that point. And yeah, she was always trying to get Peter to cheat on Betty, but she was nice to Betty's face. So this is, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not joking about that. Read those Lee Dicko issues. Like Betty's like visiting Aunt May in the hospital. Like, oh, you're such a nice girl. Then when Betty leaves, it's like, all right, you got to date that Watson woman. Come on, come on. <laughs> but I mean, she, this is the first time that we've had like an openly, maybe antagonistic's the wrong word, but frosty relationship between uh, Aunt May and uh, and a girlfriend of Peter's. Well, I don't know. I think it was mostly just anger from Peter because you know, Aunt May was being very inappropriate, but she wasn't actually... She didn't have any animosity, and Anna Maria well, was... Well, she wasn't happy about Peter them wheat cakes. Going, it's fine. True. Those glow-in-the-dark wheat cakes. <laughs> I don't remember last time we've reviewed four damn books on a, a podcast. I think it's been a long, long time. Yep. But uh, how, how many we got next month? Two? One hopes. Yeah. And no then, then two more months, we got another annual. Oh, exactly. <laughs> oh, by, oh, by the way, okay, another clue yes. about the Mason Banks thing, and I know Brad wants to wrap it up, but in a solicitation... Apparently, the Green Goblin somehow it gets under control of the Spider Slayers. Now, what company is building those Spider Slayers? Hmm. Oh, well, anyway. Um, and we're having a Superior Spider-Man like uh, team-up issue that's a flashback to Otto Octavius and Norman Osborn. Why would they be advertising Norman Osborn team-up as a tie in the Goblin Nation if he's not the Goblin? I just can't figure it out. We will end on that question.